Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, running nerds, it's Kyle Merber. And if you're listening to this podcast and there's a high likelihood that you love track and field. In that case, I encourage you to subscribe to the Lap Count newsletter. It's my newsletter, helping fans stay up to date with all the thrilling action and biggest stories in the world of track and field, delivered right to your inbox every Wednesday morning. It's free. It takes less than a minute to sign up at thelapcount.com, and I think you'll enjoy it. Here's this week's newsletter read by Chris Chavez. Before we get into it, this week's newsletter is brought to you by On. Our mission at ON is to ignite the human spirit through movement. Inspired by athletes, powered by Swiss engineering, move with us and dream ON. We all know it's harder to get out for a run in the cold, dark days of winter than other times of the year, but if you can escape the duvet and resist the comfort of the couch, it's always worth it. There's a bigger sense of satisfaction after a winter run than after a workout in kinder conditions. It always just feels worth it. And if you're training for a spring marathon or dedicated to a regular routine, then investing in winter running will pay off big time when the days finally get longer. Shop On's Winter Running Collection at on-running.com. Lap 145. I am Athlete of the Year. Caitlin Tui turns professional. But yeah, I guess it is some pretty big news. Um, I decided to forgo my eligibility and turn pro, so I'll be running for Adidas, and yeah, I'm really excited. Caitlin Tui signed on the three solid lines and is now officially an Adidas athlete. No longer will the German sneaker giant be limited to just the use of her name, image, and likeness. They also get her name, image, and likeness. This did not come as a huge surprise because although Tui does have some eligibility left on the track, she finishes up her undergraduate degree this week. Why take the GRE if you don't have to? In all likelihood, there was probably an earlier deal that she could have taken before setting foot in Raleigh following her three NXN titles. But one month before that final title in her senior year, Mary Kane published the New York Times op-ed, I was the fastest girl in America until I joined Nike. As two women, both from the part of New York that gets frustrated when city folk refer to them as being upstate, the parallels were easy to draw. And so Caitlin went to North Carolina State to run for coach Lori Hennis, where she became one of the most decorated runners in NCAA history. She surely could have gone pro a number of times. But while a member of the Wolf Pack, Tui also became ingrained in a positive team culture. There were certainly some bumps along the way, but that's par for the course for anyone who has experienced any sort of success for more than a few years. But by keeping a small circle and by enjoying balance in life beyond just running, Tui was still afforded the opportunity to eventually turn professional, except now she'll be more fully prepared for it. Fans become deeply invested in prodigies, so with early success comes a burden of expectations that would never exist for a 24-year-old who has a breakout season. There's a strange attachment that comes from having watched someone grow up, a la The Truman Show. But at some point, we have to let Jim Carrey step outside of the dome and trust that he's prepared for what's on the other side. And even if they never find Fiji or make a global team, then hopefully, at least along the way, there were maybe, I don't know, memorable days spent tossing the Frisbee and reading a book on the old campus quad. Foot Locker is back. I'm just super pumped to be able to come through and uh, pull off a 
race like that is just you can put lipstick on a pig and call it whatever you want, but when there's a high school cross-country meet in Balboa Park in early December, then that's always going to be called the Foot Locker National Championship. Now, with the new sponsorship of Hoka behind it and a slightly modified name, Foot Locker, presented by Hoka, the 40 best individual boys and girls came together for the time-honored tradition of their ancestors of going out too fast and seeing who could hold on best. With experience on his side having finished 8th last year, senior Drew Griffith knew the deal and waited until the top of the final hill with half a mile left to take over. It was a good day to be from Pennsylvania on Saturday. The Eagles hadn't yet lost to the Cowboys, and the state went 1-2 with Ryan Pajak close behind Griffith. They'll both be heading to Notre Dame next year, and before anyone writes me a letter, I know that they're both from the suburbs of Pittsburgh and therefore probably Steelers fans, but then my joke doesn't work. The advantage of there being two national championships is that you can learn from your mistakes at the first one, and that's exactly what Texas sophomore Elizabeth Leachman did. Having fallen back from an early lead at NXN and fading to 15th place, she hung off the pace to start and triumphed in the second half. Notably, both Leachman and NXN champion Addie Ritzenhain are sophomores and national champions, hopefully setting the stage for years of rivalry to follow. In the head-to-head, Ritzenhain gets the nod as she won straight up in Portland, but in 2048, when they're both on their fifth Olympic team together, I look forward to the Throwback Thursday picture of whatever social media, AI, VR, cryptocurrency platform they are using to remember how it all began. For New Yorkers who know that time in cross country is not important, but a speed rating is, the top performances did come from Foot Locker. However, the depth at NXN was much greater, though that is to be expected of a field size of 241 versus 40. Since I never made either in high school, I have no bias here. The team element at Nike is special and in theory what cross country is all about, though the exclusivity of such a small feel does feel very special at Foot Locker. The free stream is nice too, so depending on how you look at it from the perspective of someone who is there versus sitting on a keyboard at home yelling about the lack of toughness in kids today, the weather is a toss-up. Just like the coaches of the kids who are racing, there's something about Foot Locker that just makes me nostalgic about my childhood. How can you not be romantic about small chaotic loops running around trees and following orange cones alongside traffic? That's high school cross country, baby. European cross country championships. Slop them up. The European cross country championships were held in Brussels last weekend, and if you've ever watched some Belgian cycling races, then the mud fest is to be expected. Even though I am a proud American who wakes up his wife every morning by reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, A part of me rages with jealousy at the existence of this meet and our lack of an equivalent. Firstly, let's all agree that we're not going to pretend that Pan Ams or NACAC as an area championships can compare, or even in our wildest dreams have the potential to become a Western version. And without that annual draw to represent our great nation, professionals grow more distant from this side of the sport where many of us began. World cross country could be that, but tromping through the muck at the end of March does not have the same appeal in the context of the track season. This year's U.S. Cross-Country Championships will be held in January, 10 weeks before Worlds. Not exactly ideal for team selection or anyone running indoor track. To spice things up, I think we need to integrate some sort of battle between regions of the U.S. There's a lot of talk about Flagstaff versus everybody, or at least Flagstaff versus Boulder. This team element would gain more traction as there are running communities across the country with more loyalty to their hometowns than for whatever shoes that they wear. Alternatively, I have always enjoyed the way Ireland fields their team for Gaelic sports, based on the county where you grew up, for the most part. California kids are good at running in high school, but it'd be a fun test to see whose long-term development has been more prosperous. It's got to be Michigan for the men, right? 
New York or Florida for the women, potentially. Wait, this section was supposed to be about the European Championships, and I haven't said anything about that yet. Here are the winners and the results. For the U-20 women, Ines Fitzgerald of Great Britain. But listen to the screaming and the yelling. The passion in cross-country is off the chart, and rightly so here in the Belgian capital. As Ines Fitzgerald of Great Britain heads towards the finish line, it has been a majestic, dominant, determined run for this first gold of the day. She will be crowned European under-20 cross-country champion. Quite brilliant running. From the young, for the young athlete from Exeter, she takes the win there unofficially in 1820, and the gap behind her is... The 17-year-old received a lot of attention last year when she passed on the opportunity to compete at the World Cross Country Championships because of the length of travel to Australia. It wasn't because she didn't have enough Netflix shows to binge watch, but it was because of the carbon emissions and the impact flying has on the environment. She won the race by 19 seconds and is quite talented, so hopefully there's a good train line to get her to Belgrade so we can see how she matches up on the world stage at World Indoors. For the U-20 men, Axel van Christensen of Denmark. Christensen is raising a kick. He is rising to the challenge here, but I don't think he's going to be able to outkick this man. There are not many athletes, or can he? He is drawing up towards Niels Laros. Does Laros have another gear? He's going to need it. Axel van Christensen, this will be an amazing upset. And Axel van Christensen has turned over the favorite. The Great Dane regains the title in Brussels. Incredibly, a guy who ran 829 for the steeplechase at 17 years old was considered the underdog coming into this race. Yet, with Dutchman Niels Laros having run 331 for 1500 meters and 348 for the mile last year, can you blame those of us who gave him the favorable odds coming into this race? Well, mud is the great equalizer. And in a few months, we'll probably look back when Axel runs 1305 for 5k and be like, oh, that wasn't an upset. U23 women. Megan Keith of Great Britain. She's catching sight of the finish, and Megan Keith, there'll be lots of senior success in her future, but for today, it's about under 23 gold for the Great Britain. Megan Keith, magnificent. The most dominant performance of the meet, she won the race by an incredible 83 seconds. And of course, she's Scottish. With this victory on top of her U20 title, there's only one more Infinity Stone needed to be added to the European gauntlet, the senior title. U23 men, Will Barnicote. Barnicote here has got to stay focused. He's got to keep his head down and drive for the line. And Breska's got a target. He's worked so hard, the Frenchman, lap after lap. And he's not giving up. No chance for Barnicote here to relax as they come towards the line. And the Frenchman is coming back at him. Valentin Bresk is pushing hard to try and catch Will Barnicote of Great Britain. It's going to be Barnicote, though, who takes gold for Great Britain in the men's under-23 contest. Absolutely brilliant racing here in Brussels. This was a battle to the line with both Barnicote and Valentin Bresk being given the same official time. Barnicote won the U-20 title last year in an equally dramatic fashion. Someone get this guy some NCAA eligibility. I can think of at least five schools in the state of Oklahoma that would be the perfect fit for him. In the senior women's race, Carolyn Grovedal, Norway. From the gun, she made it tough, and she is tough. She is tough, she is classy, she's courageous, she is already celebrating, and she should luxuriate in this feeling because at the age of 33, Caroline Björkley Grobdal is going to join the greats of not just the European Cross Country Championships, but the greats of European distance running. Norway is back on top, and Caroline Björkley Grobdal with an exhibition, a masterclass 
here in Brussels. The winningest athlete in European cross-country history. With this being her fourth senior gold and her 10th medal overall, I've become familiar with the keyboard shortcut for writing the O with the slash through the middle. Grovedal is one of my favorite athletes to root for because of her longevity and range across all distances and surfaces. Senior men, Jan Shrub of France. But Jan Shrub of France is heading for gold. He has destroyed them over this last lap and a half. It's been a majestic run by the Frenchman. At the age of 27, the European Championship bronze medalist at 10,000 meters last year becomes gold medalist over the country in Belgium this year. It's been a quite fantastic run from Jan Schrob. The downside of not having Jakob Ingebrigtsen healthy in racing is that we didn't get to watch Jakob. But the upside is that as a result, we did get to see an actual race. I've been trying to figure out why Shrub often puts on a chicken hat after his races, which is certainly one of the more creative signature moves. But it's not all fun and games for Shrub. He's in his seventh year of studying medicine. The mixed relay, France. Because Melee has produced the speed there for the French, and they will win the mixed relay here in Brussels. Brilliant running from Melee on the final leg there. Perfect judgment. Gold for France, silver for the Netherlands, and bronze for Great Britain. Malanga, there was nothing more she could do. She gave 101%. It created fascinating jeopardy over the final couple of minutes for the French. The French and Dutch teams were hawking down the anchor leg for the Great Britain team as the order of men and women was not set in stone ahead of time. This is how the mixed gender 4x4 was originally formatted and while I don't care for the event, I thought it created plenty of drama. CJ Albertson gets the B standard. Obtiene el pase para Olympic Walk el americano. Logra su cometido. ¿Qué carrera acabamos de ver? The legend of CJ Albertson grows one week after running 2.11.09 at the California International Marathon. The madman scooted down to Mexico to run 2.11.08 at the Baja California Marathon. Because the first effort was not run on a World Athletic Certified course, because CIM is point-to-point -point and net downhill, not that there's anything wrong with that, it did not check the sub-2.11.30 box that would have made him Olympic eligible should he wind up in the top three at the trials. He knew this going in. Nobody's body recovers quite like CJ's. And despite being seen sprinting around Balboa Park the day before at Foot Locker, he was fresh enough. I need to know if this is some sort of training plan that he writes for his athletes, so if someone knows, email me. Now he can step on the line in Orlando and not worry about the pace or the weather. Most valuable players. And the winner of the 2023 World Athlete of the Year for track events, for field events, for out-of-stadia events. The Athlete of the Year Award was announced at World Athletics' James Bond Cosplay Gala, and it was a huge victory for boomers who enjoy complaining about how these days, every kid gets a trophy. For the first time since 1988, there was not a single winner named on the men's and women's side. Instead, the presentation was best described by sources in Monaco as the scene in Mean Girls where Lindsay Lohan breaks the homecoming crown into a million pieces and throws it out into the crowd, proclaiming that we are all winners. Why is everybody stressing over this thing? I mean, it's just plastic. It's really just... Rather than two, there were six winners announced across the track, field, and road events. Predictably, the winners were Noah Lyles, Mondo Duplantis, Calvin Kiptum, Faith Kipiegon, Yulimar Rojas, and Tigas Asefa. 
How can we possibly pit so many great athletes up against one another and choose just one? Simple. Vote. Finally, there's an election with too many good choices, and this is how we squander it. If you're like me and find this cop-out disappointing, then take solace in the fact that the, ah, participation trophies opinion is not the hot take you might believe it to be. Even the athletes have some thoughts on the subject. Because on one hand, I agree with the idea. I just wish we knew that this is what was going to happen. Instead of having it happen after the five finalists were already chosen, that groups were going to be made. Then I'm confused why we have the ten athletes in the beginning were all in different categories, but we were all led to believe that we were all fighting for you know the same trophies. So again, very, very shocking. Very big plot twists. Big plot twists. These are the highest performing athletes in the world. They can handle a subjective loss. It's just a made up award, so let's not get too fussed up about it. But why not just create a rubric for judgment and stick to it? In 2023, everyone is breaking a world record. So is that enough? Is it about dominance? Should we be valuing versatility more? There's no reason to have an event or a gender-based split for this award. It's not like Kelvin Kiptum is competing against Mondo Duplantis in any way. So how is pitting them against one another any different than including Yulimar Rojas? If there could only be one athlete of the year, then it would be Faith Kipiegon, and she shouldn't have to share that honor. In-season tournaments for all. Across the league, teams and players have sort of bought into this maybe faster than the general public might have expected. Have you sort of felt like this has gotten more momentum internally faster than maybe you would have thought? Adam Silver is a genius, so it's that simple. So uh, it's going to work. This is hardly an original idea on my end. Canadian Olympian Aaron Brown tweeted this suggestion, as I'm sure many others did. But adjusting the Diamond League season to more closely resemble the NBA's in-season tournament is a good idea. So let's unpack it. First, some background. The NBA had a problem that will likely sound familiar to track fans. Viewers and even athletes didn't care about the regular season. With 82 regular season games, good teams could afford to take some nights easy by resting star players without it meaningfully impacting their playoff seating. As the season wore on, the teams would ramp up the intensity so that by the first round of the playoffs, they were firing on all cylinders. This resulted in engaging high-quality basketball come late spring, preceded by, pardon the expression, some horseshit hoops during the winter months. The shrewd business minds behind the NBA knew that this was a problem, so they did what shrewd business minds do. They introduced a stakes-raising gimmick designed to prod the players into caring about a game on a Tuesday night in November and in turn give the fans a reason to tune in. And despite the obnoxiously painted floors, the borderline inscrutable matter in which tournament games were also regular season ones, the games being played in Vegas, and besides the meager by NBA salary standards prize money, those crazy bastards made it work. We enjoyed playoff caliber basketball before Christmas. The league's most recognizable superstar, LeBron James, was awarded the inaugural in-season tournament MVP trophy as he guided his Lakers squad to the inaugural in-season tournament title. And a fun upstart Indiana Pacers team emerged from basketball purgatory to announce its arrival as a long-shot NBA title threat. There were some memorable game-winning buzzer beaters, some hard-fought back-and-forth battles between established contenders and rising stars, and the sort of fights that only unfold when something real is on the line. So what can Track learn from this? For starters, relying on one short championship season to drum up interest among fans is a losing proposition. 
We do a horrendous job of giving casual fans a reason to stay plugged in into the sport between Olympic and World Championship cycles. The Diamond League is sitting there almost entirely separate from the events that most of the world associates with track and field. Let's shift it up in the calendar so that the Diamond League, and especially the Diamond League Championship, serves as our in-season tournament, the precursor to an even bigger title fight. Another related note is that from a spectator standpoint, riveting competition doesn't necessarily require the competitors to be at their absolute best. The Lakers fought the hardest of any team in the NBA in November and December, but as of right now, there are five teams Vegas odds makers think have a better shot at winning this year's real NBA championship than the Lakers. Track athletes tend to be precious about when they compete and rarely do so if they aren't in top form. We need to give them a reason to race, jump, throw, vault when they're still dialing things in. The product on display will still be entertaining. And a third is that money talks. Each Laker was awarded a $500,000 prize for winning the tournament. And that's not a lot by American pro basketball standards, but it was enough of a carrot to get players fired up. I'd imagine a significantly smaller prize purse would still be mighty enticing to a lot of the world's best track athletes. Then there's the calculation some will inevitably make. I'm going to go for the money now, knowing the big dogs are going for the Olympic gold later. By presenting athletes with a few titles to shoot for of various levels of prestige, some will take a personally cynical approach, but ultimately that means higher level of competition the entire season and a chance for athletes outside of the usual suspects, some up-and-comers, some aging greats, to enjoy a little bit of the limelight. Here's what else you need to know from this past week. Olivia Markazic joined the Sidious Mag podcast this week to discuss her third-place finish at NCAs, running the second-fastest 3K in collegiate history, and why her dad made her visit Notre Dame in January. Why are all these pro runners hanging out in Hawaii every December? Well, ask Yard Nagus, the winner of the Merry Mile, as he ran 356.58 and was just a few decimals off of the world record. The 30-second head start before the men was not enough for Nikki Hiltz to hold the flying goose off as they ran 428.07 and finished fourth overall. NCAA 800-meter champion Michaela Rose of LSU has signed an NIL deal with Adidas. Don't tell Nike. Hoka announced some NIL deals of their own, signing past Foot Locker champions Natalie Cook, Cole Matisson, and Carrie Beloga. And speaking of Carrie Beloga, she will be transferring from Colorado after one season to Northern Arizona. She'll be joined by Allison Churchill coming from Florida State for graduate school. So if there was any doubt that the Lumberjacks would be back in the title hunt next year, this answers them. The club cross-country championships after party was preceded by the race itself in Tallahassee. Amanda Vestry and Ty Dinger won the open races that were 100% a 6K and 10K. Josh Kerr was snubbed from the BBC Sports Personality of the Year's finalist list. Katarina Johnson-Thompson is the lone hope for track and field now. The Chicago Marathon saw a record of more than 120,000 applications for next year's race. And the Valencia Marathon's registration had an online queue that left many thousands of runners waiting for hours. The people want to go fast, and the investment in pros is paying dividends. Thank you to On for sponsoring this week's newsletter. At this point, you've probably tried the shoes and understand the hype, so trust me when I say that their gear is also next level. Get yourself some winter apparel and thank me later. This has been Chris Chavez reading Kyle Merber's The Lap Count newsletter. Get it in your inbox every Wednesday morning. Subscribe at thelapcount.com. We'll see you next week.